Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So what is, what is your favorite time of the year? How many of you, it's winter? Raise your hand. <laughs> well, you'll have to grumble at each other. <laughs> How many of you, it's spring? How about the summer, people? And fall? Okay, kind of spread out. For me, after living in Chicago for nine years, it's definitely not winter. And enough snow in those nine years to last a long, long time. I usually answer that question by saying it's either spring or fall. Uh, it's a toss-up. Um, I, I love the when the spring, like when it, you know things start greening up and the plants start popping out and the colors um, start popping. And and I also love fall as well. You know, after it's hot for a long time, then cooling down at night and the leaves changing. And both spring and fall are great exercise times too, right? To walk or run or play golf or whatever. But leaving the weather aside, I now want to say that my favorite time of the year is from January 1 to mid-February, because that's the time we do the 40 days of prayer at harvest. And it's not just an activity. It's, it's a, God is always with us and we're always praying, but there's just something special that happens during those 40 days and culminating like we did this past weekend with the, with the 24 hour prayer vigil. It's just, it's just amazing. So we, we come today. Today is the last Sunday in the 40 days of prayer, which we called a prayer life like Jesus. And I want to just, uh, mention what briefly what we where we've been we started out in the very first year on january 1st this i think this might have been the first time ever that we actually started on january 2nd rather than january 1st because we wanted to set the the weeks so you could study all week as as margaret had mentioned in her her testimony there you could study all week and then come on sunday so on january 1 i opened it up looking just at Jesus prayer habits and how he prayed all the time. He prayed late into the night and he got up early in the morning and he often withdrew to pray. And we, 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 we said that prayer is not just for people who aren't busy because Jesus was quite busy, but he modeled prayer. And so what we then decided to do for these six weeks is look every week at one of his prayers, one of the things he actually prayed so we could learn how how we would pray. And so the first one, we started in the Garden of Gethsemane where he came to that moment before the cross and he and he prayed that God would take it, take it away, that cup away. But he said, not my will be done, but yours. And we learned that prayer is not about our will. It's not about our trying to convince God of things. It's It's surrendering to his will. And then in week two, we learned that prayer is just a, 
a natural part of life. It's giving thanks as a natural part of life. You don't, it's not only at set prayer times. It's not just at prayer meetings. It's not just in church. And we looked how Jesus was going along and just kind of just in the middle of something, uh, thanked God. So prayer is just giving thanks naturally. Prayer is also asking God to help others. We looked in week three at what's known as the high priestly prayer of John 17, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, both the present ones at that time and the ones that would come, which includes us, those of us who were followers of Christ today. And he prayed for us in that moment. He prayed that we would be spiritually protected and that we would be unified and that we would understand what it meant to be sent by him and that we would we would grasp his love and and glory and so we learn that we pray for others then the next week we we said prayer is communion with god the father and in john 11 the story where jesus learns that lazarus has died and he and he goes there after a couple of days he's just about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's so much in touch with God the Father that even as he's talking to people and seeing people and interacting with them and about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he can just turn and talk to his Father. Prayer is communion with God. Last week, we learned that prayer is an integral part of forgiveness. Jesus hanging on the cross, looked at the very ones perpetrating it, And said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And it, it was, it was an expression, a way to forgive others. But it was also integral to forgiveness in the sense that it brought our forgiveness on the cross, of course. And now, today as we wrap it up, it's surprise. (laughs) Jesus is still praying for you. So we're not looking today at a recorded prayer that Jesus made. We've looked at those, but we're going to look at what Jesus is doing even now. And we're going to do that from Hebrews 7:25 and mainly Romans 8:31 to 34. So let me set the context of Romans 8. We'll we'll launch there and we'll comment on Hebrews 7, but the verses are so similar, they're almost identical. At the end of Romans 8, the writer, the Apostle Paul, asked several questions, rhetorical questions, to remind Christian believers of the absolute, unbreakable safety of God's love for his own. And it includes amazing implications for prayer. That's where we are when we come to Romans 8. Paul is talked about no condemnation, and he's built so much about life in the Spirit. And he comes to the end of it in this great, uh, these great verses that give us assurance. So let's read 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things, these things he's been talking about, certainly in Romans 8, maybe in all of Romans up to that point, all of the assurances If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who is Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So today it's, it's a pretty simple approach. We want to ask and answer the question, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus now is interceding for us? And by us, we're talking about believers in Jesus Christ. Because these passages in Romans and Hebrews were written to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And we hope if you're not there yet, whether you're here in person or you're watching online We hope that you will come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Depend totally on him and completely and only on him for salvation. And that hopefully will come out in the message of of how you can do that. But what does it mean? I want to mention three things. I think it can be a little bit hard to answer because we don't have a lot of detail about it. But we're going to look at what the texts say and 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 draw some conclusions there. Number one, because Jesus died and rose again on judgment day, no case against us will succeed. That's what it means that he's interceding for you and me. That when it comes to judgment day, when we come to the final day and the decision for all of eternity is made, whether you're going to be in heaven or hell, whether you're going to be separated from God or with God, Nobody's going to be able to make a case against you if you're a believer in Christ because he died and rose again. Now, for several chapters leading up to this, Paul the Apostle has been listing the amazing blessings that come to those who believe in Christ. And now he caps it off with these assurances. Let's dive in. I read, began at verse 31, but... Let's dive in at verse 33 and look at the question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, the future tense here, who will bring, makes it clear to us that this is a future day in mind. And it points to the judgment day. It points to that last day, which will be Awful or wonderful, depending on where you stand. Who's going to bring a charge in that day? Paul is not denying that accusations will come. Sometimes we accuse ourselves, right? (laughs) And certainly Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. So Satan accuses Christians, men and women. He accuses us of things. But we don't have to worry because it's a rhetorical question and the answer to is, to it is nobody. <laughs> Who's going to bring any charges? Well, based on what I'm getting ready to say, nobody's going to bring any charges or charges that will stick. They'll bring the charges, but the charges absolutely will not stick. God has already declared us to be righteous. That's what it means. That term justifies 
Justification is the biblical doctrine that God looks at a guilty, sinful person and declares that person to be righteous. Now, sometimes people will summarize it in short and say justification is, quote, just as if I had never sinned. I don't like that definition. It's not totally wrong if you understand it in a way that it's different from that it's usually given. It's not just as if you'd never sinned. It's that you did sin. (laughs) I did sin. We're wrong. We're guilty. It's like we really sinned. And in spite of that fact, God says, you know what? I, by the death of my son, am going to declare you to be righteous. You can be guilty, but you can be declared righteous. That's what justification is. Now, in that sense, when people say, just as if I never sinned, if they understood it, that you're as clean as if you never sinned, okay. But it, again, I think that's what biblical justification is. Isaiah 50, verse 9, Behold, the Lord God helps me, who then will declare me guilty. And then in verse 34, the same question gets asked, in it gets restated in other terms. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Paul answers it this time. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Paul answers it explicitly and he gives four statements that tell us why. Look look at the four statements there in the verse. The, these are statements that are going to convince us, right? First of all, Christ Jesus died. And secondly, more than that, not only did he die, he was raised to life. We sang it this morning about him being raised to life. He is our living hope. Now, remember, when we come to Romans chapter 8, Paul has already written Romans 1 through 7. That's the larger context of this. He is assuming that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross satisfied God's wrath against sinners that he talked about in Romans 3, 21 to 3, 26. And that his resurrection vindicated him, proving that his work on the cross was sufficient. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. And of course, in Romans 4.25, he said he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So he died. He rose again. What else happened? Well, he's at the right hand of God. He right now is at the right hand of God. That's the place of highest honor. That that's what his work is complete on earth. And now he's at the right hand of God the Father as a fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until you make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's figurative language showing Jesus' absolute governing control over the universe. And fourthly, Jesus is interceding for us. He is interceding. 
Not a term that we use a whole lot in daily life. What does it mean to intercede for somebody? Well, in the Old Testament, the very same Greek word was used negatively and positively. At times, it's used of somebody who utters a complaint against someone. And in the positive sense, it was to solicit someone, uh, uh, to petition someone, to go to an authority figure and, and petition someone on behalf of another. You come into the New Testament, you get the same you get the same thing. There are at least uh, two times that this same word is used of approaching somebody with a complaint. But three times here at the end of Romans chapter 8, it's used in this positive sense of, of petitioning, of interceding, uh, of going to an authority figure as a representative of someone and doing it on behalf of that person. Now, Let's think about just human intercession for a second. Take take prayer out of the equation for a second. Let's just think about what does it mean to intercede. Have you ever interceded for someone? Has anyone ever interceded for you? Maybe you remember. Maybe uh, let's say you were at a party or something, and you were single. And let's you can be a guy or a girl, but let's say you're a guy in this instance. So you and your buddy are there, and you see a girl that. It's pretty and you're like, I might like to talk to her, but I'm a little afraid to go talk to her. Maybe you ask your friend to go over and intercede for you, right? Like, uh, hey, my friend, you know, don't look at me like you've never done that. (laughs) That, That's intercession of sorts. Herschel. York pastored a church and the relatively famous Alistair Begg came and spoke for him two different times. And after that happened, uh, he started getting uh, all kind of people asking him a favor. I want to read it in his words. He said, we're probably about the smallest church a guy like Alistair Begg will go to in the course of a year. So immediately I started getting emails, text messages, Facebook messages from all kind of pastors going, hey, do you think you could ask him to come to my church? What are you asking me to do? What are they asking me to do? Will you intercede for me? And my answer was, absolutely not. I will not do that. You contact his office just like I did. He's done me a favor, so I'm not going to make him pay for doing me a favor. I can't do that. I'm not a willing intercessor in that situation. Does that make sense? And guess what? In matters much more important than getting a speaker to come to your church and much more long-lasting, the good news this morning is that Jesus is a willing intercessor. (laughs) Nobody's twisting his arm. And trying to convince him to do something that he doesn't want to do. He is a willing intercessor. And that's Paul's point in Romans 8. It is a courtroom scene. And in this judicial situation, accusations and charges are being made spiritually. And who is going to intercede for us? And what makes this one crazy is that it's not that we're innocent. Sometimes people get 
charged with things and they're innocent, right? And they're looking for the best attorney possible to convince, to make their case for them or whatever. And they're just hoping that everybody will come to see the real truth of the matter. In this case, we're, we, we've done the deed. <laughs> we're guilty before God. We're condemned to be separated from God now and forever. We don't need somebody to try to convince God about something that's not true. We need somebody to say, I'll pay their price. Guess what? I already did pay their price for them. And that's what Jesus is doing as an intercessor. He is pay, He has paid our price for us. Christ Jesus died, he was raised, he is interceding, and it's clear that his intercession in context is based on his atoning death. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 um, says, My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate. I love this quote. It's a very short quote, but I love this quote by Doug Moo. With such a defense attorney, it is no wonder the persecution, the prosecution loses its case. Can't even read the short quote. With such a defense attorney, it is no wonder the prosecution loses its case. That's what is stated in Hebrews 7.25 as well, right? been many of those priests beginning in verse 23 he's comparing them with the earthly priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but because jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to to god through him because he always lives to intercede for him so that's our first dive into this deep pool of what it means for Jesus to intercede for us. He died, he rose again, and because of that, on judgment day, no case against us is going to succeed. Isn't that awesome news this morning? Secondly, I want to go backwards in the text a little bit because there's there's an incredible link here in Romans chapter 8. Let's go back to verse 26 and say, because the spirit helps us in our weakness, our prayers will succeed according to God's will. Verse 26, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, this is just a few verses. We've got 26 and and, and 27 here that we're going to look at, and we, we read 31 to 34. So, so this is the same larger paragraph, and we started where Jesus is interceding, but Paul has already said just a few verses earlier that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Now, what does this mean? Not only is Jesus interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Are, are these two different people that are out doing two different things? Now, I, th- I thought about this and I was thinking about like our staff here. We have a great unified staff and I'm thankful for our staff. And 
all of our staff works all ultimately towards the one same goal. And there are some things we collaborate on. There are many things we collaborate on and we do things together. But there are times that each one of us is off doing our separate focused ministry. Right? So Richard might be over here doing something and Nikki might be over there doing something and Lynn might be over here and Chad might be over here and Corey's over here and I'm over here. And then there's sometimes we're collaborating together. We're, we're a unified staff, but we're separate people. We're distinct people. We're not one in the sense of essence, right? We're one in purpose. But the Godhead is different. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Three distinct persons of the Godhead, but one God. So it's very important to note that the Holy Spirit interceding for us and Jesus interceding for us, they they have to be linked, right? We can't understand what it means for Jesus to intercede for us if we don't understand what it means for the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. So Paul says in verse 26, in the same way, he's been talking about how hope for future glory sustains us when we're weak. So in the same way that hope for future glory sustains us when we're weak, so also the Holy Spirit sustains us when we're weak. He helps us in our weakness. Now what weakness is in view here? Uh, it's, it's human weakness, of course. As human beings, we are weak morally, spiritually, and many other ways. But I think we're specifically weak in prayer because I think that's the context. He mentions it. Uh, we do not know what we ought to pray for. We don't always know what to pray for, so we are weak in prayer. There are times, for instance, we know something to be God's will, absolutely, because it's stated in Scripture, and we can pray that with confidence. But there are many things that we pray about that, if we'll be honest, we have to say, we, we don't really know how God is going to answer this or what God's will in this situation is, which is why prayer is surrendering to his will, right? We're weak in prayer. We don't know exactly. And yet there's great hope for us. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. That word means to come to the aid of, to join someone in help. To bear a burden along with someone. Let me show you. It's used other times in the Bible. Let me just show you one other verse that's used so you'll get a sense of what this word might entail. If we go back to Exodus chapter 18, Moses had so much responsibility and he was making judgment from day till night and he was just exhausting himself. And and so listen to what words of advice were given to Moses Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. That's the same original word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that's used in the the Greek original of the New Testament. It's a sharing. It's coming along beside. So just like these 
kind of delegated assistant judges were going to handle smaller cases and easier cases and it was going to spread the workload out they were going to help Moses in his work they were going to come to Moses aid they were going to make his load lighter in that same way the Holy Spirit struggles or or joins our struggle in prayer he shoulders the load with us the verse says the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans Now, some people have misinterpreted this, that this is a reference to praying in tongues, for instance. Some people will go to Romans 8 and talk about these these wordless groans and say, oh, this is a reference to praying in tongues. But there are at least three reasons why that's not true. First of all, 1 Corinthians 12.30 says that the gift of tongues is only given to some believers And what's happening in Romans 8 is given to every believer. Romans 8, the context is every Christian, not just some people. Secondly, it's our praying in view. Or it's not our praying in view that's in Romans 8. This is the Holy Spirit praying. He's the one doing the praying, right? And then thirdly, there's no reference to words of another language. It's no words at all. These are inaudible words. This is ineffable groanings. There aren't aren't even words. You ever feel like God has forgotten you? You ever feel like you prayed about something and prayed about it and prayed about it and it's still not answered? (laughs) Sometimes we feel that way, but Grant Osborne puts it, This way, in those moments, he says, at that very moment, the spirit is closer to us than at any other time. Far from being unaware of our troubles, at that very moment, the spirit is entreating or petitioning God more deeply than we could ever could. Far from being an uncaring God, the spirit is groaning along with us. So to sum up this point, the fact As believers that we're weak in prayer and we don't always know what to pray for or how to pray specifically or what God's will is, all of that weakness does not frustrate God's purpose for us. It doesn't frustrate God's will in our lives. Why? Because we've got somebody praying for us whose prayers are going to be answered. (laughs) We have somebody praying for us who always prays the right thing. He never prays the wrong thing. How many of you will admit, it shouldn't be too hard, but raise your hand. If you've, at some point in your life, you've prayed for the wrong thing. Maybe it was selfishly or something like that. Like, you know, praying for your team to win the game or or something. All right. We have. We, We pray the wrong thing. Hey, the most spiritual, maybe one of the most spiritual people who ever lived in, in the whole world was the Apostle Paul, right? He had a thorn in the flesh. We think it had something to do with his eyesight. We don't know for sure. But he prayed three times for God to remove it. And what did God do? He said, my grace is sufficient. I'm not going to remove it. It's not my will to remove it. But I'm my grace is going to be sufficient for you. So sometimes we pray for things that... God's answers are different, and it's not God's will for him to answer it in the way that we want it. 
And then sometimes we get discouraged and sometimes we stop praying and sometimes we're weak when we pray and sometimes we're frustrated. But I got good news for you. If you're a Christian, there's somebody praying for you. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is praying for you. And I want to tell you, I only have one word to think about the fact that not just another human. I mean, I love it. Somebody mentioned it. Maybe more people, but in the testimony, so I mentioned how wonderful it was when to know that people are praying for you. And it is good to know that people are praying for you. But how good is it to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you? And my only one word is, wow. <laughs> I had to study hard and long to come up with that word. But that's my only word, wow. The Holy Spirit is praying for me. I think this is really appropriate in Romans 8 to have a, you know, have a thought like that about the Holy Spirit. Because even just the very, um, the very person of the Holy Spirit is the, the, the word that's translated for the Holy Spirit. It means the one who's called along beside us. Parakletos, called beside. And, The Kari language in Africa, when they were trying to translate uh, that word for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it was tough when they came to Parkletos because they didn't have they didn't have a word. (laughs) How could they come up with a word for the Holy Spirit? So one day the translators came along, a group of porters that were walking along in the in the bush, and they were carrying the bundles on their head, and they saw this group of men carrying these bundles on their head. There was one man who wasn't carrying anything. And they thought, oh, well, that must be the boss, right? He's just walking along and supervising and doing this and that and the other. But they learned that that was wrong. This guy had a had a special task that as they would walk along, if one of the workers just got exhausted and fell over uh, from heat and just fell down, that guy would step in and pick up his load for him. And that word that means the one who falls down beside us is the word that they put in their language for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he, that's who he is. Verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Verse 27 brings it full circle. Although believers are weak and not knowing what to pray for and can't understand fully the will of God, his prayers are always heard because they're in accordance with God's will. They're in accordance with God's will. Now, I mentioned earlier, and I will say again, it... It can be difficult to try to understand what it means for Jesus to be interceding for us, but we're trying to, we're trying to get at it here. There's some who said, well, it's, it's, it's only about being our advocate in heaven that we stand before God, since that's the most clear and explicit statement. And it really is the most clear and explicit statement. But I don't think it should be left there. I think what we're looking at here in the second point, that the Holy Spirit is interceding, I think that really helps us to know that it's it's ongoing help as well. 
And that leads us into the third aspect of what Jesus interceding for us really means, and that is because Jesus prayed for his followers while on earth, we we have a good sense of what he still wants for us. Remember how Jesus prayed for his disciples when he was on earth? Simon, who was Peter, when he was telling him about the temptation that was coming on him, he said, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He prayed for victory over temptation. He prayed for strengthening and encouragement. F.F. Bruce said, if it be asked what form Jesus' heavenly intercession takes, what better answer can be given than that he still does for his people at the right hand of God what he did for Peter on earth? And then Jesus' prayer in John 17, I alluded to it in the review, um, his high priestly prayer so-called he said my prayer is not for them alone i pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message and what did he pray spiritual protection to be set apart for god as mission to be united and to grasp his glory and his love so since god never changes we have every reason to believe that the things jesus was concerned about then still concern him now And these are the things that he wants for us. So we take God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're one, three persons in one. And maybe this image will help seal it in our minds. What are they interested in? God's will. (laughs) What does God want for you? His will. What did, what is Jesus praying for you? His will. What is the Holy Spirit? His prayers are answered because they're made in accordance with the will of God. So here we go. What does it mean for Jesus? We've looked at three things. Because he died and rose again on judgment day, no case against us will succeed. Secondly, because the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers or in our weakness, our prayers will succeed according to God's will. And then third, because Jesus prayed for his followers while on earth, we have a good sense of what he still wants for us. This is God's word for us this morning. Short and simple to the point, because Jesus intercedes for us, that is enough. Because Jesus intercedes for us, that is enough. As I wrap it up, I want to ask, how should we respond? I want to give you three quick responses this morning as we wrap up, not only this sermon, but the entire 40 days of prayer. First of all, let your faith find a resting place. In him. We've seen, we've seen the judicial look at the charges against us and that he is the one who died and rose again. And I think about the words to that great old hymn, my faith has found a resting place, not in device or, nor creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen. Rest there. 
If you've never rested there, today's a great day to rest there to say, Jesus, I'm going to rest in you, not the church, not trying to turn over a new leaf, but I'm going to rest in you. Second, don't allow your spiritual weakness to keep you from praying. We're weak. (laughs) We're weak in prayer. And a lot of what we do in our life, we do based on how we feel. And sometimes we don't really feel like praying, right? That's when we need to pray the most. <laughs> to, to say, okay, I'm depending on you, Father. I'm depending on you, Spirit. Then number three, keep your prayer and spiritual habits going long after the 40 days end. It's been, a, it's been a great six weeks for many of you. Don't let it end at six weeks. <laughs> Those things that you've done, maybe you've done more or more intensely than before. Maybe you've set aside time regularly in the word and in prayer with God. Don't let it end. Maybe as families you've gathered together and you've prayed together as husband and wife or with your children, you've brought them in. Don't let it end. Maybe you've established a prayer partner. Get another one or keep that one. Maybe you've prayed in your groups, men's group, women's group, co-ed groups. Let prayer keep going. Maybe you've prayed with the church. You've come to the prayer vigil. You've come to the Thursday morning. You've come to the Sunday morning early. Keep praying. Keep going. Don't let it end. Our desire from this all along is not so we can go... We've done our praying, now let's go do something else. (laughs) It's to launch us into the year. So in his book entitled Prayer, Philip Yancey writes this, and I'll close with this. The New Testament's only glimpse of what Jesus is doing right now depicts him at the right hand of God interceding for us. And then he says... In three years of active ministry, Jesus changed the moral landscape of the planet. And for nearly 2,000 years since, he's been using another tactic, prayer. Because Jesus intercedes for us. That's enough. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.